Section seven of the Dove's Nest and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Dove's Nest and Other Stories by Catherine Mansfield. A Married Man's Story. It is evening. Supper is over. We have left the small, cold dining room. We have come back to the sitting room where there's a fire all is as usual i am sitting at my writing table which is placed across a corner so that i am behind it as it were and facing the room the lamp with the green shade is alight i have before me two large books of reference both open a pile of papers all the paraphernalia in fact of an extremely occupied man my wife with her little boy on her lap is in a low chair before the fire. She is about to put him to bed before she clears away the dishes and piles them up in the kitchen for the servant girl tomorrow morning. But the warmth, the quiet, and the sleepy baby have made her dreamy. One of his red woollen boots is off, one is on. She sits, bent forward, clasping the little bare foot, staring into the glow, and as the fire quickens, falls, flares again, her shadow, an immense mother and child, is here and gone again upon the wall. Outside it's raining. I like to think of that cold, drenched window behind the blind, and beyond the dark bushes in the garden, their broad leaves bright with rain, and beyond the fence the gleaming road with the two hoarse little gutters singing against each other, and the wavering reflections of the lamps like fishes' tails. While I am here, I am there, lifting my face to the dim sky, and it seems to me it must be raining all over the world, that the whole earth is drenched, is sounding with a soft quick patter, or hard steady drumming, or gurgling, and something that's like sobbing and laughing mingled together, and that light playful splashing that is of water falling into still lakes and flowing rivers and all at one and the same moment i am arriving in a strange city slipping under the hood of the cab while the driver whips the cover off the breathing horse running from shelter to shelter dodging someone swerving by someone else i am conscious of tall houses their doors and shutters sealed against the night, of dripping balconies and sodden flower-pots. I am brushing through deserted gardens and falling into moist-smelling summer-houses. You know how soft and almost crumbling the wood of a summer-house is in the rain. I am standing on the dark quayside, giving my ticket into the wet red hand of the old sailor in an oilskin. How strong the sea smells! how loudly the tied-up boats knock against one another. I am crossing the wet stackyard, hooded in an old sack, carrying a lantern, while the house-dog, like a soaking doormat, springs, shakes himself all over me. And now I am walking along a deserted road. It is impossible to miss the puddles, and the trees are stirring. Stirring. But one could go on with such a catalogue forever, on and on, until one lifted the single arum lily-leaf 
and discovered the tiny snails clinging until one counted and what then aren't those just the signs the traces of my feeling the bright green streaks made by someone who walks over the dewy grass not the feeling itself and as i think that a mournful glorious voice begins to sing in my bosom yes perhaps that is nearer what i mean what a voice what power what velvety softness marvellous suddenly my wife turns round quickly she knows how long has she known that i am not working it is strange that with her full open gaze she should smile so timidly and that she should say in such a hesitating voice what are you thinking i smile and draw two fingers across my forehead in the way i have nothing i answer softly at that she stirs and still trying not to make it sound important she says oh but you must have been thinking of something then i really meet her gaze meet it fully and i fancy her face quivers will she never grow accustomed to these simple one might say every day little lies will she never learn not to expose herself or to build up defences truly i was thinking of nothing there i seem to see it dart at her she turns away pulls the other red sock off the baby sits him up and begins to unbutton him behind i wonder if that little soft rolling bundle sees anything feels anything now she turns him over on her knee and in this light his soft arms and legs waving he's extraordinarily like a young crab a queer thing is i can't connect him with my wife and myself i've never accepted him as ours each time when i come into the hall and see the perambulator i catch myself thinking hmm someone has brought a baby or when his crying wakes me at night i feel inclined to blame my wife for having brought the baby in from outside the truth is that though one might suspect her of strong maternal feelings my wife doesn't seem to me the type of woman who bears children in her own body there's an immense difference where is that animal ease and playfulness that quick kissing and cuddling one has been taught to expect of young mothers she hasn't a sign of it i believe that when she ties its bonnet she feels like an aunt and not a mother but of course i may be wrong she may be passionately devoted i don't think so at any rate isn't it a trifle indecent to feel like this about one's own wife indecent or not one has these feelings and one other thing how can i reasonably expect my wife a broken-hearted woman to spend her time tossing the baby but that is beside the mark she never even began to toss when her heart was whole and now she has carried the baby to bed i hear her soft deliberate steps moving between the dining room and the kitchen there and back again to the tune of the clattering dishes and now all is quiet what is happening now oh i know just as surely as if i'd gone to sea 
she is standing in the middle of the kitchen facing the rainy window her head is bent with one finger she is tracing something nothing on the table it is cold in the kitchen the gas jumps the tap drips it's a forlorn picture and nobody is going to come behind her to take her in his arms to kiss her soft hair to lead her to the fire and to rub her hands warm again nobody is going to call her or to wonder what she's doing out there and she knows it and yet being a woman deep down deep down she really does expect the miracle to happen she really could embrace that dark dark deceit rather than live like this to live like this i write those words very carefully very beautifully for some reason i feel inclined to sign them or to write underneath trying a new pen but seriously isn't it staggering to think what may be contained in one innocent-looking little phrase it tempts me it tempts me terribly scene the supper-table my wife has just handed me my tea i stir it lift the spoon idly chase and then carefully capture a speck of tea-leaf and having brought it ashore i murmur quite gently how long shall we continue to live like this and immediately there is that famous blinding flash and deafening roar huge pieces of debris i must say i like debris are flung into the air and when the dark clouds of smoke have drifted away but this will never happen i shall never know it it will be found upon me intact as they say open my heart and you will see why ah there you have me there is the most difficult question of all to answer why do people stay together putting aside for the sake of the children and the habit of years and economic reasons as lawyers nonsense it's not much more if one really does try to find out why it is that people don't leave each other one discovers a mystery it is because they can't they are bound and nobody on earth knows what are the bonds that bind them except those two am i being obscure well the thing itself isn't so frightfully crystal clear is it let me put it like this supposing you are taken absolutely first into his confidence and then into hers supposing you know all there is to know about the situation and having given it not only your deepest sympathy but your most honest impartial criticism you declare very calmly but not without the slightest suggestion of relish for there is i swear there is in the very best of us something that leaps up and cries ah for joy at the thought of destroying well my opinion is that you two people ought to part you'll do no earthly good together indeed it seems to me it's the duty of either to set the other free what happens then he and she agree it is their conviction too you are only saying what they have been thinking all last night and away they go to act on your advice immediately 
and the next time you hear of them, they're still together. You see, you've reckoned without the unknown quantity, which is their secret relation to each other, and that they can't disclose even if they want to. Thus far you may tell, and no further. Oh, don't misunderstand me. It need not necessarily have anything to do with their sleeping together. But this brings me to a thought I've often half entertained, which is that human beings, as we know them, don't choose each other at all. It is the owner, the second self inhabiting them, who makes the choice for his own particular purposes. And, this may sound absurdly far-fetched, it's the second self in the other which responds. Dimly, dimly, or so it has seemed to me, we realise this, at any rate to the extent that we realise the hopelessness of trying to escape. So that what it all amounts to is, if the impermanent selves of my wife and me are happy, tant mieux pour nous, if miserable, tant pis. But I don't know, I don't know. And it may be that it's something entirely individual in me, this sensation. Yes, it is even a sensation, of how extraordinarily shell-like we are as we are, little creatures peering out of the sentry-box at the gate, ogling through our glass case at the entry, one little servants, who never can say for certain even if the master is out or in. The door opens. My wife. She says, I am going to bed. And I look up vaguely and vaguely say, You are going to bed? Yes. A tiny pause. Don't forget, will you, to turn out the gas in the hall. And again I repeat, the gas in the hall. There was a time, the time before, when this habit of mine, it really has become a habit now, it wasn't one then, was one of our sweetest jokes together. It began, of course, when on several occasions I really was deeply engaged and I didn't hear. I emerged only to see her shaking her head and laughing at me. You haven't heard a word. No, what did you say? Why should she think that so funny and charming? She did. It delighted her. Oh, my darling, it's so like you. It's so... so... And I knew she loved me for it. I knew she positively looked forward to coming in and disturbing me, and so, as one does, I played up. I was guaranteed to be wrapped away every evening at 10.30pm. But now... For some reason I feel it would be crude to stop my performance. It's simplest to play on. But what is she waiting for tonight? Why doesn't she go? Why prolong this? She is going. No, her hand on the doorknob, she turns round again, and she says in the most curious, small, breathless voice, You're not cold? Oh, it's not fair to be as pathetic as that. That was simply damnable. I shuddered all over before I managed to bring out a slow, No! While my left hand ruffles the reference pages. She's gone. She will not come back again tonight. It is not only I who recognise that. The room changes too. 
it relaxes like an old actor slowly the mask is rubbed off the look of strained attention changes to an air of heavy sullen brooding every line every fold breathes fatigue the mirror is quenched the ash whitens only my sly lamp burns on but what a cynical indifference to me it all shows or should i perhaps be flattered no we understand each other you know those stories of little children who are suckled by wolves and accepted by the tribe and how forever after they move freely among their fleet grey brothers something like that has happened to me but wait that about the wolves won't do curious before i wrote it down while it was still in my head i was delighted with it it seemed to express and more to suggest just what i wanted to say but written i can smell the falseness immediately and the source of the smell is in that word fleet don't you agree fleet grey brothers fleet a word i never use when i wrote wolves it skimmed across my mind like a shadow and i couldn't resist it tell me tell me why is it so difficult to write simply and not only simply but sotto voce if you know what i mean that is how i long to write no fine effects no bravura but just the plain truth as only a liar can tell it i light a cigarette lean back inhale deeply and find myself wondering if my wife is asleep or is she lying in her cold bed staring into the dark with those trustful bewildered eyes her eyes are like the eyes of a cow that is being driven along a road why am i being driven what harm have i done but i really am not responsible for that look it's her natural expression one day when she was turning out a cupboard she found a little old photograph of herself taken when she was a girl at school in her confirmation dress she explained and there were the eyes even then i remember saying to her did you always look so sad leaning over my shoulder she laughed lightly do i look sad i think it's just me and she waited for me to say something about it but i was marvelling at her courage at having shown it to me at all it was a hideous photograph and i wondered again if she realised how plain she was and comforted herself with the idea that people who loved each other didn't criticise but accepted everything or if she really rather liked her appearance and expected me to say something complimentary oh that was base of me how could i have forgotten all the numberless times when i have known her to turn away to avoid the light press her face into my shoulders and above all how could i have forgotten the afternoon of our wedding day when we sat on the green bench in the botanical gardens and listened to the band how in an interval between two pieces she suddenly turned to me and said in the voice in which one says do you think the grass is damp or do you think it's time for tea tell me do you think physical beauty is so very important 
i don't like to think how often she had rehearsed that question and do you know what i answered at that moment as if at my command there came a great gush of hard bright sound from the band and i managed to shout above it cheerfully i didn't hear what you said devilish wasn't it perhaps not wholly she looked like the poor patient who hears the surgeon say it will certainly be necessary to perform the operation but not now but all this conveys the impression that my wife and i were never really happy together not true not true we were marvellously radiantly happy we were a model couple if you had seen us together any time any place if you had followed us tracked us down spied taken us off our guard you still would have been forced to confess i have never seen a more ideally suited pair until last autumn but really to explain what happened then i should have to go back and back i should have to dwindle until my two hands clutched the banisters the stair rail was higher than my head and i peered through to watch my father padding softly up and down there were coloured windows on the landings as he came up first his bald head was scarlet then it was yellow how frightened i was and when they put me to bed it was to dream that we were living inside one of my father's big coloured bottles for he was a chemist i was born nine years after my parents were married i was an only child and the effect to produce even me small withered bud i must have been sapped all my mother's strength she never left the room again bed sofa window she moved between the three well i can see her on the window days sitting her cheek in her hand staring out her room looked over the street opposite there was a wall plastered with advertisements for travelling shows and circuses and so on i stand beside her and we gaze at the slim lady in a red dress hitting a dark gentleman over the head with a parasol or at the tiger peering through the jungle while the clown close by balances a bottle on his nose or at a little golden-haired girl sitting on the knee of an old black man in a broad cotton hat she says nothing on sofa days there is a flannel dressing-gown that i loathe and a cushion that keeps on slipping off the hard sofa i pick it up it has flowers and writing sewn on i ask what the writing says and she whispers sweet repose in bed her fingers plait in tight little plaits the fringe of the quilt and her lips are thin and that is all there is of my mother except the last queer episode that comes later my father curled up in the corner on the lid of a round box that held sponges i stared at my father so long it's as though his image cut off at the waist by the counter has remained solid in my memory perfectly bald polished head shaped like a thin egg creased creamy cheeks little bags under his eyes large pale ears like handles his manner was discreet sly faintly amused and tinged with impudence long before i could appreciate it i knew the mixture i even used to copy him in my corner bending forward 
with a small reproduction of his faint sneer in the evening his customers were chiefly young women some of them came in every day for his famous five-penny pick-me-up their gaudy looks their voices their free ways fascinated me i longed to be my father handing them across the counter the little glass of bluish stuff they tossed off so greedily god knows what it was made of years after i drank some just to see what it tasted like and i felt as though someone had given me a terrific blow on the head i felt stunned one of those evenings i remember vividly it was cold it must have been autumn for the flaring gas was lighted after my tea i sat in my corner and my father was mixing something the shop was empty suddenly the bell jangled and a young woman rushed in crying so loud sobbing so hard that it didn't sound real she wore a green cape trimmed with fur and a hat with cherries dangling my father came from behind the screen but she didn't stop herself at first she stood in the middle of the shop and wrung her hands and moaned i've never heard such crying since presently she managed to gasp out give me a pick-me-up then she drew a long breath trembled away from him and quavered i've had bad news and in the flaring gaslight i saw the whole side of her face was puffed up and purple her lip was cut and her eyelid looked as though it was gummed fast over the wet eye my father pushed the glass across the counter and she took the purse out of her stocking and paid him but she couldn't drink clutching the glass she stared in front of her as if she could not believe what she saw each time she put her head back the tears spurted out again finally she put the glass down it was no use holding the cape with one hand she ran in the same way out of the shop again my father gave no sign but long after she had gone i crouched in my corner and when i think back it's as though i felt my whole body vibrating so that's what it is outside i thought that's what it's like out there do you remember your childhood i am always coming across these marvellous accounts by writers who declare that they remember everything i certainly don't the dark stretches the blanks are much bigger than the bright glimpses i seem to have spent most of my time like a plant in a cupboard now and again when the sun shone a careless hand thrust me out on the window-sill and a careless hand whipped me in again and that was all but what happened in the darkness i wonder did one grow pale stem timid leaves white reluctant bud no wonder i was hated at school even the masters shrank from me i somehow knew that my soft hesitating voice disgusted them i knew too how they turned away from my shocked staring eyes i was small and thin and i smelled of the shop my nickname was gregory powder school was a tin building stuck on the raw hillside there were dark red streaks like blood in the oozing clay banks of the playground i hid in the dark passage where the coats hang and i'm discovered there by one of the masters what are you doing there in the dark his terrible voice kills me i die before his eyes i am standing in a ring of thrust-out heads some are grinning some look greedy 
some are spitting and it is always cold big crushed-up clouds press across the sky the rusty water in the school tank is frozen the bell sounds numb one day they put a dead bird in my overcoat pocket i found it just when i reached home oh what a strange flutter there was at my heart when i drew out that terribly soft cold little body with the legs thin as pins and the claws wrung i sat on the back door step in the yard and put the bird in my cap the feathers round the neck looked wet and there was a tiny tuft just above the closed eyes that stood up too how tightly the beak was shut i could not see the mark where it was divided i stretched out one wing and touched the soft secret down underneath i tried to make the claws curl round my little finger but i didn't feel sorry for it no i wondered the smoke from our kitchen chimney poured downwards and flakes of soot floated soft light in the air through a big crack in the cement yard a poor-looking plant with dull reddish flowers had pushed its way i looked at the dead bird again and that is the first time that i remember singing rather listening to a silent voice inside a little cage that was me but what has all this to do with my married happiness how can all this affect my wife and me why to tell what happened last autumn do i run all this way back into the past the past what is the past i might say the star-shaped flake of soot on a leaf of the poor-looking plant and the bird lying on the quilted lining of my cap and my father's pestle and my mother's cushion belong to it but that is not to say they are any less mine than they were when i looked upon them with my very eyes and touched them with these fingers no they are more they are a living part of me who am i in fact as i sit here at this table but my own past if i deny that i am nothing and if i were to try to divide my life into childhood youth early manhood and so on it would be a kind of affectation i should know i was doing it just because of the pleasantly important sensation it gives one to rule lines and to use green ink for childhood red for the next stage and purple for the period of adolescence for one thing i have learnt one thing i do believe is nothing happens suddenly yes that is my religion i suppose my mother's death for instance is it more distant from me today than it was then it is just as close as strange as puzzling and in spite of all the countless times i have recalled the circumstances i know no more now than i did then whether i dreamed them or whether they really occurred it happened when i was thirteen and i slept in a little strip of a room on what was called the half landing one night i woke up with a start to see my mother in her nightgown without even the hated flannel dressing-gown sitting on my bed but the strange thing which frightened me was she wasn't looking at me her head was bent the short thin tail of hair lay between her shoulders her hands were pressed between her knees and my bed shook she was shivering it was the first time i had ever seen her out of her own room i said or i think i said is that you mother 
and as she turned round i saw in the moonlight how queer she looked her face looked small quite different she looked like one of the boys at the school baths who sits on a step shivering just like that and wants to go in and yet is frightened are you awake she said her eyes opened i think she smiled she leaned towards me i've been poisoned she whispered your father's poisoned me and she nodded then before i could say a word she was gone i thought i heard the door shut i sat quite still i couldn't move i think i expected something else to happen for a long time i listened for something there wasn't a sound the candle was by my bed but i was too frightened to stretch out my hand for the matches but even while i wondered what i ought to do even while my heart thumped everything became confused i lay down and pulled the blankets round me i fell asleep and the next morning my mother was found dead of failure of the heart did that visit happen was it a dream why did she come to tell me or why if she came did she go away so quickly and her expression so joyous under the frightened look was that real i believed it fully the afternoon of the funeral when i saw my father dressed up for his part hat and all that tall hat so gleaming black and round was like a cork covered with black sealing wax and the rest of my father was awfully like a bottle with his face for the label deadly poison it flashed into my mind as i stood opposite him in the hall and deadly poison or old d p was my private name for him from that day late it grows late i love the night i love to feel the tide of darkness rising slowly and slowly washing turning over and over lifting floating all that lies strewn upon the dark beach all that lies hid in rocky hollows i love i love this strange feeling of drifting whither after my mother's death i hated to go to bed i used to sit on the window-sill folded up and watch the sky it seemed to me the moon moved much faster than the sun and one big bright green star i chose for my own my star but i never thought of it beckoning to me or twinkling merrily for my sake cruel indifferent splendid it burned in the airy night no matter it was mine but growing up against the window there was a creeper with small bunched up pink and purple flowers these did know me these when i touched them at night welcomed my fingers the little tendrils so weak so delicate knew i would not hurt them when the wind moved the leaves i felt i understood their shaking when i came to the window it seemed to me the flowers said among themselves the boy is here as the months passed there was often a light in my father's room below and i heard voices and laughter he's got some woman with him i thought but it meant nothing to me then the gay voice the sound of laughter gave me the idea it was one of the girls who used to come to the shop in the evenings and gradually i began to imagine which girl it was it was the dark one in the red coat and skirt who once had given me a penny a merry face stooped over me warm breath tickled my neck 
there were little beads of black on her long lashes and when she opened her arms to kiss me there came a marvellous wave of scent yes that was the one time passed and i forgot the moon and my green star and my shy creeper i came to the window to wait for the light in my father's window to listen for the laughing voice until one night i dozed and i dreamed she came again again she drew me to her something soft scented warm and merry hung over me like a cloud but when i tried to see her eyes only mocked me her red lips opened and she hissed little sneak little sneak but not as if she were angry as if she understood and her smile somehow was like a rat hateful the night after i lighted the candle and sat down at the table instead by and by as the flame steadied there was a small lake of liquid wax surrounded by a white smooth wall i took a pin and made little holes in this wall and then sealed them up faster than the wax could escape after a time i fancied the candle flame joined in this game it leapt up quivered wagged it even seemed to laugh but while i played with the candle and smiled and broke off the tiny white peaks of wax that rose above the wall and floated them on my lake a feeling of awful dreariness fastened on me yes that's the word it crept up from my knees to my thighs into my arms i ached all with misery and i felt so strangely that i couldn't move something bound me there by the table i couldn't even let the pin drop that i held between my finger and thumb for a moment i came to a stop as it were then the shrivelled case of the bud split and fell the plant in the cupboard came into flower who am i i thought what is all this and i looked at my room at the broken bust of the man called harneman on top of the cupboard at my little bed with the pillow like an envelope i saw it all but not as i had seen before everything lived everything but that was not all i was equally alive and it's the only way i can express it the barriers were down between us i had come into my own world the barriers were down i had been all my life a little outcast but until that moment no one had accepted me i had lain in the cupboard or the cave forlorn but now i was taken i was accepted claimed i did not consciously turn away from the world of human beings i had never known it but i from that night did beyond words consciously turn towards my silent brothers end of section seven recording by rob marland